The Truth About College Admission podcast, as well as our book and workbook, are brought to you by Johns Hopkins Press. Visit press.jhu.edu to learn more about their wide selection of books and journals from the world's most trusted authors, experts, and sources. I am one of your hosts, Brennan Barnard, Director of College Counseling at Con Lab School. And I am Rick Clark, the AVP and Executive Director of Undergraduate Admission at Georgia Tech. Um, today, we had the opportunity to speak with Elizabeth Hamblett. Uh, Elizabeth is um, a consultant uh, with students with learning disabilities. She also works on a university campus uh, as a learning disabilities specialist um, and is the author uh, of a book and also an upcoming um, opportunity that she has with NACAC, our National Association for College Admission Counseling. Elizabeth is also the author of Seven Steps to College Success, a Pathway for Students with Disabilities. Um, Brent and I, I really enjoyed um, the conversation. I thought she hit on some really important things. What did you uh, pick up from that? Yeah, it was a great conversation and, and so nuanced in so many ways. And, and I think a really um, uh, a layered um, kind of issue for a lot of families um, and, and a lot of schools to kind of figure out. And, you know, I, I really... I really like some of the advice she had for families, especially around, you know, when students show up to college, um, registering with the disabilities office from day one or, yeah. or even before before they show up. Right. So yeah. so that um, they they're proactive and um, they because, you know, she I think she talked about if you, if you wait too long, um, then, you know, it's, it's not like something that they're just going to flip a switch and it happens right away. So mm -hmm. you need some lead time. How about you? Yeah. I mean, well, on that note, I, I often have opportunities to talk to incoming freshmen here at Georgia Tech. And one of the things I like to do is have them look around the room and be like, you know, who do you think is the smartest in the room? Um, and I usually give some stats about the SAT averages and talk about how, you know, that puts them in the X percent of global test takers or, you know, average number of APs that they've taken or all these stats that we have to say, basically everybody in the room is really smart. So who do you think is the smartest, you know? And I have them kind of look around and, you know, maybe even like give a couple of the things that people have accomplished along the way. Um, and then do you, do you tell them the answer is you? Right. And then of I'm, course, the, I, I'm, I'm the like, smartest in the room. Right? I'm, the, I'm the smartest in the room. <laughs> um, but what I, what I usually say is the smartest in the room is the first to ask for help and the one who will maximize their resources the most. You know, at the end of the day, that's what makes a good college student is that you're humble enough to seek out that help uh, and use the resources that are here for you. And that's exactly what you just mentioned and that she talked about, you know, I love um, that. And, and it starts it starts in high school. Right. And yeah. starts um, in the college search. Like, who are you? You know, who are you drawing in as resources and to be on your team as you apply to college? I mean, it, it, these are these are life skills. Yeah, no doubt. Um I guess the thing that I picked up on, though, I mean, yours for sure. And then the other thing she talked a little bit about was this idea of like asking questions that matter to you as you're thinking about where to go to college, you know, whether that be because you've got some um, learning differences or you've had some accommodations in high school or whatever it might be, you know, that you care about that matters to you and that, you know, is going to help make you successful in college. Like students too often are hesitant and parents are too often hesitant. They're trying to like hold things back because they think it might be like used against them or, or raise flags in some way. And that's just patently false. And it also shortchanges their ability to get good answers that are super important. 
Absolutely. Well, enjoy this conversation with Elizabeth. Today, we are joined by Elizabeth Hamlet, learning disabilities consultant and author of Seven Steps to College Success, a pathway for students with disabilities. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a big fan of the podcast, so it's a special thrill to be on here. Yeah, absolutely. Now, we're really glad to have you, and we got to see each other um, earlier in the fall in Baltimore and talk a little bit about you know, your work. So we're excited to to delve into that. Um, but one of the things we like to ask people, you know, before we kind of get into your specialty area is a little bit about thinking back on your own college journey, um, looking for schools, you know, selecting schools, applying to schools. And I know you have a couple of kids as well who have been through this um, experience recently. So, you know, for yourself or for you as a family, um, any kind of thoughts or insight that you can provide us? Sure. I mean, I, I laughed when I saw this question thinking about, you know, typing these applications in my in my kitchen as a high schooler. <laughs> um, and I was thinking also about the fact my father had attended a college that he just loved and he never, ever pressured us to go there. I'm, I'm the oldest of two. And the first time I saw this school, it was the most beautiful spring day and I hated it. And, you know, I don't know, I'm not usually a contrary person, but I don't know if there was that part of me that thought, well, I wasn't going to be quite so obvious. Um, And then we went back in the fall and it was this rainy, moody New England day and I fell in love. So interesting figure. Um, And, you know, my kids come up in my conversations um, and my talks in that um, one of the things that I talk to people about is the importance of looking at things like um, graduation requirements for each college. And so, you know, we can get into this, but um, for students with disabilities specifically, uh, mm-hmm. who might have extreme challenges passing, let's say it's often high school, uh, college foreign language or math, um, one of the things that they can do is look at the graduation requirements of the colleges on their list and see if some of them don't require mm-hmm. what they find really challenging. And right. so as an example, um, I have one uh, one young adult child who went to art school um, who didn't have to do a lot of the core requirements I did at a little liberal arts college. Mm-hmm. And my other child went to engineering school and didn't have to do a lot of the core requirements. Right. And, you know, that was just about where the kinds of things they wanted to study. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, to each his, her, their own. Yeah, that's <laughs> well, you know, two things that you hit on there. I mean, one is um, what you said about trusting your gut a little bit um, and 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 how your mind can change. I mean, like those two things are really important. You know, you you went one time and, and you didn't feel like it was the right thing for you. Um, and, and that's important to pay attention to. Right. That kind of feel regardless of maybe how connections that you have to that place or how highly it's ranked or any of these other things. But then also keeping that sort of like growth mindset and that willingness to keep an open mind. And we, and Brendan and I talk a lot about that. And so I I think that's really, that first piece is so, so important of what you hit on there. Well, and it also raises kind of this idea of how accessible some of this information is about what the requirements are. And, and, and sometimes Mm. that can be a barrier, right. Mm -hmm, And, mm -hmm. and finding that information and not having one central place to go to find it and some of that stuff. So, um, so, you know, Elizabeth, your book and your consulting work focus on explaining the the challenges of students, you know, as they, as they, um, 
look at how disability accommodations are provided in colleges versus mm-hmm. in high school and what supports they can and can't expect. And, um, you know, even though you don't work with students and, dis- you know, students with disabilities as they search for and, and apply to college, um, your work suggests some points for them to consider when looking at schools. So what are one or two kind of primary tips you have for students and their families as they're as they're looking and searching for schools? So one thing that's really important to know is um, college accommodations, basic disability accommodations are available at almost literally every college in the country. And so I think sometimes people think if you're applying to um, what some of your colleagues call highly rejective institutions um, where, you know, it's very hard to get in, that those kinds of schools perhaps wouldn't have to offer disability accommodations, you know, maybe for students with physical, but not learning and and attention challenges. Um, And that's not the case. So, um, we're talking about federal disability laws. And, and so essentially any college that takes federal money has to do at least minimal accommodations. That's Pell Grants, it's GI Bill money, it's federal research dollars. So even if a school rejected those, it would also have to be a private religious school, which means that almost literally every college in the country does it. And many religious colleges, you know, parents shouldn't and, and students shouldn't panic, do do what we're talking about. Um, so that's like the really important thing to know. Um, so I am actually going to defer back to to Rick on, you know, the most important thing in so many ways is fit and match. Um, sometimes when parents hear about colleges that offer fee-based programs that go beyond what colleges have to provide, they may be inclined to steer their student toward a University of Arizona or a Marist or the several dozen colleges that do that. But if the school's not a good fit for them, that that extra program isn't going to be so meaningful, you know? And so I think any student's college search should start with all those fundamentals of fit and match. And then you can further explore the disability services and see. Um, So that's the first part. And then the second recommendation would be ask questions, contact Mm -hmm. us. And, you know, Rick and I, and, and I think in our conversation, um, when your when your workbook came out that we did on, on Facebook, you know, families are so concerned that if they call our office, Disability Services, we get off the phone, we send up to the admissions office the list of kids who have asked. And it breaks my heart that they're so concerned colleges are doing this because it's their intention to screen out students with disabilities. Mm. So they should not worry about that. It's not happening. Rick can confirm. (laughs) And that, you know, you need to make sure we're going to have what you want. And there is one challenge I don't know how to navigate around, which is that we often don't have the staffing to tell applying prospective students, whether they get the accommodations they're looking for. And even once they're admitted, um, if they haven't enrolled yet, our offices are are sometimes not staffed in in such a way that we have the capacity to make that review and allow you to make that choice or Mm -hmm. have that information so you can make your final choice. Mm -hmm. Um, But ask. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I will, I will kind of come behind that because this is, this is a question um, that I, or, or it's a um, fear, I guess, that I hear from a lot of students. I know Brennan, we've talked about this in the past. Um, there is that paranoia of students, whether it be about their learning differences or some of the accommodations maybe they've received in high school, 
or maybe it's something, you know, like I made a C in this class mm. or who knows what, right? That they want to, they're curious about if it's how it's going to impact them, but they don't want to divulge it because they're worried that some somebody's going to make a note in their file and, you know, look out for that, hold it against them, whatever. And I mean, I'm sure anybody listening to this can probably think of their own personal example that's in the spirit of what we're referring to, right? Yeah, sure. Um, and I, I guess what I would just say is like, no, I can't speak for all 4,000 schools in the country, but I have never talked with a colleague at another school um, who has ever said that that's what's happening, right? Like that just, that just is not happening. And this is such a big choice. It's such a big, big uh, decision. Like you have to get your answers. You have to understand what you're doing here. I mean, in terms of the money you're going to invest, the time you're going to invest, the people you're going to be around, like the all the things that go into making a choice about college, like you want to have as much information as possible. Like, I mean, right now, I'll, you know, a parallel, like we're looking for a car, a new car. Um, and, you know, some of, or some of these are used cars, right? And so it's like, you want to know as much as you can about the background of that car before you put in 30, 40, however many thousand dollars um, into this. And don't you want to ask your questions and, you know, look really closely in order to make the best decision you can, um, even if it means saying something about what you need, even if it means saying mm. something or whatever that somebody else might have a perception of or, you know, you can't control what their opinion of that's going to be. And I just I just really hope that students and counselors and um, parents listening, you know, take that to heart and really um, embrace this idea that, to your point, finding fit and match comes from being honest about what you need, what you want, and how and where you're going to kind of best fit with that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, so so that being true, that being in the search process, I mean, what about the application process? I mean, what? How much should you talk about it or not talk about it in in the application? What? How, how do you advise students and families there? So, you know, people ask me this question all the time um, and my work at a, in, a, in a college disability services office, you know, really, we, we are totally separate from admissions. Um, so my best answer is really not about that choice. It, it's about the student making that choice. It's about self-determination. And so one of the things we really need to be working on for all students, um, but it particularly comes up in the literature on students with disabilities, is their self-determination skills, their ability to make decisions, you know, seek out help where they need it, not to, to do it without any advice, but to 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 think the, through the decisions they're going to make. And so to me, my answer is, what does your student want to do? That's the most important thing. If they think it's something the college wants that should know about them, then they should write about it. Um, and as uh, for those who are haven't seen an, a, a common app yet, there are no questions about disabilities on the application. It's illegal for colleges to ask, which means it's up to the student whether to disclose or not. So um, certainly they can do it in the essay if they think that's, you know, something they want to give that much space to. Right. They can do it in the is there anything else section? Um, maybe I don't know, Rick, what do you think about? if they asked a teacher or somebody providing a recommendation to do it, it does it mm-hmm. seem sneaky if the student doesn't say anything, but the teacher does or the counselor does? I don't think so because that, I mean, Brennan can speak to this from his side too, but on the college side, thinking about reading apps and thinking about 
ultimately what we want is an entire story. And there's so many times where a counselor or a teacher brings up something that we didn't get from the student. And Mm -hmm. we don't think the kid was trying to hide it. We think, well, this is what adults do. They have a vision of you. This is what anybody does. Your friend does this. Your partner or spouse does this. Like they see you in a certain way and they're going to bring things up and tell a story that kind of is complimentary. And we love it actually, when we learn new things to help put together a picture, right? Um, so I don't know, Brennan, what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I mean, so it's challenging, right? So so if a recommender is going to talk about a learning disability in a rec, they need to have permission from the student and the parent, yeah. right? So- yeah. Okay, so, that's so, important to know. Right, so the, the student's gonna have to be intentional and be and self-advocate for that and 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 maybe probably sign something. Um, I mean, we, we have to have written permission when we when we do it. And so, so there's that piece. And then, I mean, I, I think Elizabeth, you said it best, like, is it something they want to kind of dedicate that much space to on the application? And so mm-hmm. that's that's a decision for them. Like, how much does this learning disability define them and their identity? And so so how much of that do they want to share in the essay versus the additional information or some other place mm-hmm. in their application? Because, you know, some, I think some students feel like uh, and understandably so like this is there's, there's so much more to me that I don't want my story to be just kind of, oh, this is the student with the learning disability. Right. Mm-hmm. This is mm-hmm. a student who. Um, has this this unique background that also has a learning disability, or this is a student who has these other experiences that they want to share and also has a learning disability. So it's, it's, it's a balance. You know, you could replace exactly what you just said. You could replace the whole race conversation right now with the learning disability piece. That is exactly yeah. it, right? You yep. know, students need to determine like to the extent that this is identity and a part of the story they want to be known versus no, this is, I'm just a student who's applying and I want to tell you this or that about myself. I mean, you know, all of this is translates across many different, um, you know, threads and subjects. Um, You know, Elizabeth, uh, (laughs) anybody listening, I guess you've, you've listened to the podcast in the past, so you've heard us say this before, but you know, we talk a lot about this idea that um, we want students and parents to talk to fewer other students and parents of current high school students mm-hmm. um, and more parents and students of either current college students or or recent college grads. Um, and I'm kind of curious in your work, you know, on the college side with students with learning differences and also in you know some of the consulting and writing and speaking you do. Um, you know, what do you hear from from students and parents about, you know, now that they're maybe in college or out of college, what do they wish they had done differently? And and how can then current prospective students and parents kind of take that wisdom gained and apply it to them, you know, to their journey? So, I mean, parents particularly say to me, boy, I wish I'd found your work much earlier. So all of this stuff talking about how different the system is um, for delivering disability accommodations, how different the expectations can be. Um, you know, in, in some cases, when students are in high school, um, they are getting um, assignments modified and, you know, they're doing different or less work um, or they are getting lots of extended time to finish papers with, you know, deadlines keep getting pushed back. And those kinds of things aren't typically happening at the college level. And so, you know, I think the preparation for college really starts, I said ninth grade and a colleague recently said middle school. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think knowing 
you know, not unlike just knowing in general what college looks like, knowing specifically that disability piece, I think is really important because it should inform what is happening with students um, when they are in high school. I, you know, again, this all goes back to the stuff about the transcripts. People are worried that if um, their student, for instance, takes you know, what I used to do in my last high school job, like a learning center class, they're worried how that will appear on, you know, the student's transcript, even though it could be great for setting mm -hmm. them up for success. Yes. So, you know, I think it's really important to, to know and also to hear you guys say that stuff doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, that frankly, the research shows and sometimes it happens to students that they don't register with our office. Um, initially, and there are uh, loads of reasons why um, they want a new identity. Um, they need to know that we don't tell everybody on campus that they have, you know, they've registered with us. And the only people in, that know that they've got accommodations are the people involved in those accommodations. Um, but really importantly, and back to, you know, what Brennan was saying about FERPA, Family Educational Rights Privacy Act, um, our notifications, and it's mostly to professors because it's a lot of academic accommodations, don't tell the professors what the student's disability is. And so all of this worry that they have, you know, at, we we treat their information very carefully. And so they're always welcome to tell professors more about their disability, but they don't have to. And so that's not a reason not to register with us. Um, they want to try it out on their own and they can, but importantly, if they wait to register with our office, um, anything that happens before the time that their accommodations are approved stays on their record, stays, those grades stay in. And so it begins from that moment on. And so I try to sell them that registering with our office when they first started school is a free insurance policy. Mm. So if you register and you, good for you, college is so easy, you find you don't need the accommodations, um, then you don't have to use them. We don't yeah. go to the freshman dorms and drag everybody out and say, hey, please take your extended time accommodated tests here. But if they don't register, then as the anxiety about the first exam creeps up and they're, it's the first time they're contacting us, we will not rush our process of review because you've got an exam tomorrow. Yeah, it's like it's like they say with marathon running, drink early and often, right? You, if if you wait to if you wait to drink until mile eighteen, oh, wow. um, then then you're in big okay. trouble, right? Right. right. Um, and, I like yeah. that. Yeah. So okay. you know, Elizabeth, as we kind of uh, bring this great conversation in for a landing, can you can you just share your kind of greatest piece of advice? What you what you really want parents and students to know um, leaving this conversation about searching for and applying to college. Well, I mean, I hate to repeat myself, but I think, you know, it has to be a good fit. It has to good, be a good match. Don't be afraid of um, highly rejective, you know, very rigorous colleges um, for students who have been meeting academic expectations and are very independent and, you know, want to pursue that stuff. There isn't any reason they should um, scale back their dreams. Um but it is important to know, again, what the accommodations look like typically at the college level, because if students have achieved a certain amount of academic success in high school with a whole lot of adult support, with the kinds of things that we don't provide at college, that could be quite a, an adjustment to make. And so I, I think it's it's a good idea to focus less on 
you know, making sure students have every accommodation to get them, the, you know, the highest possible GPA, if it's not also being accommodated with strategies and, and scaling back of adult supervision so that they know what they can do on their own. That's great. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is about being successful and about thriving, right. And not about, not about where you can necessarily get in. It's about where you can um, really um, feel a sense of belonging and feel that you can be successful. Right. Great. Well, again, Elizabeth, thanks so much. We really uh, appreciate you taking the time to be with us. And I know people are going to get a lot out of this. We will put a couple of your um, key links in the show notes as well. So people can go back and reference those um, as resources. Thank you so much. Great. Take care. We hope you enjoyed that conversation with Elizabeth Hamblett, and we look forward to bringing you um, additional guests here as we close out 2023. Um, I did want to also thank our partner, Grown and Flown. I've known and worked with them for years. They are an excellent resource for parents and high school students. Um, their website is full of expert content on college admission and all aspects of raising teens. Um, We've put a link in the show notes to an affordable monthly membership called College Admission, uh, grown and flown for families uh, who have questions about admission and how to pay for college. Um, So you can check out that link. We'll get you three weeks free. Uh, What's really nice about this is it also gives you archived experts where they've hosted folks in live sessions. I've been able to participate this this fall, actually, talking about AI and the future of AI in college admission. Um, And so each week they bring um, amazing guests uh, who really have kind of in-depth expertise to answer questions in real time for parents, um, as well, again, the ability for members to go back and watch um, archived videos at no additional charge. So we hope you'll check that out. But again, thanks so much for listening to The Truth About College Admission, and we look forward to joining you soon on another episode.